it's Mother's Day. And it's a really important day because this is a day where we have a great opportunity to celebrate, to honor mothers and motherhood. And so I want to say, we've already said it uh, before already in the service, but happy Mother's Day to you. And we are honoring and celebrating mothers today. And we're doing that, by the way, in two tangible ways. One of those ways is, maybe you notice at the back, we have a little picture station that's kind of set up for you guys. And so if you're here with your family, that's a great opportunity to do that. You can kind of get a picture of all that stuff. Now, here's the thing. If you're visiting today, you're checking us out for the first time. A lot of people, sometimes they do that on Mother's Day. Or if you're here by yourself or whatever the case is, grab somebody else from Northridge that you know. Grab somebody else. Just grab a random person. If you don't know anybody here, grab them anyway and say, hey, would you like to take a picture? Uh, and, and I know that seems weird, but I'm just telling you that here at Northridge, we truly believe that we are family. Because if we're not, we're really not worth much as a church. Truly. And so we want you to be able to take a picture with your family, or if you want to grab somebody else in your Northridge family and take a picture, that's awesome, however you want to do that, but that is our gift to you. And the other thing that we have is we have, uh, this would not be exciting to me, but I think a lot of mothers, they love this, but we have a live plant on your way out. You can have a live plant um, that you can have and take and enjoy. I guess they're called succulents. That's weird to me, but enjoy them, I guess. You know, awesome. No, but seriously, we have that for you to take on the way out as our gift of, and, and our, just our small way, our little way of saying Happy Mother's Day, and we're glad you're here. Um, we do want to acknowledge, and this is always important, that Mother's Day is a great day for most of us, but for some of us, it's a hard day because some of us have either lost our mothers or um, some of us uh, want to be mothers and you can't. And so this can be a hard day. It's an awesome day, but it can be a hard day too. And so we want to acknowledge that. And so we're going to pause just for a moment. And I think the best thing that we can do, the best gift that I can give, that we can give as a church, is to pray for mothers. And so I want to pause just for a moment, and we're going to pray for mothers right now. Would you join me? God, I want to pray for everybody in this room, especially the mothers. Whether today is a great day where they can be honored and celebrated as a mother, or today maybe is a hard day. For every person, for every lady in the room, for all of us, I'm praying and asking for your blessing to be poured out. Would you remind every person in this room, whether they came in feeling and understanding that they are special, that they are loved, that they are being celebrated and honored, or maybe they walked in not feeling much worth at all. I pray that you would remind them that they are a child of God. That first song that we just sang is true and that you are there for them, that you love them, that everything starts with your love. So God, today may we honor mothers and motherhood and may we remember that you have created us and made us special and unique. I pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are in the midst of a series that is very simply called Modnik. And we are talking about, in this series, about the different kind of kingdom, the backwards, upside down, different kind of kingdom that God is establishing here on earth. And the reason we're not calling it kingdom is because God's kingdom is different. 
It's backwards. It's completely upside down from any other kingdom that's being established. And so we've been working our way backwards, of course, through the word modnik. And so we started by talking about Jesus, who is our king on a cross. And then after that, we talked about the fact that in God's kingdom, God's kingdom is different because God invites every person to be invited into his kingdom. He wants every person to be invited into his kingdom. He has invited everybody into his kingdom. Not everybody accepts, but everybody has been invited. That's the whole point of Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting from the grave. And then the next week, we talked about one of our favorite topics. It's not about you. Yay! How exciting is that? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. God's kingdom is all about God. It has to start with God. Now, what's interesting is because God loves you unconditionally, God makes it about you, but it can't start with you. It has to start with God so that he can then make it about you because he loves you. So it's not about us. It's about God. And then last week, we talked about the letter G, and we talked about the fact that in God's kingdom, it is different than any other kingdom, because in God's kingdom, generosity is one of the main things. It's one of the main characteristics of God's kingdom. He is generous, extreme generosity from God, but he calls on us to be generous as well. And we talked about three different things last week. Now, Today, of course, we're focusing on the letter D. I'm not going to give that away, what that is just yet, so we'll get there. Isn't this just a tease every week? I'm sorry, right? But today, I want to start by telling you a story. So when I was a teenager, uh, my family uh, went with another family, and we decided to take a day-long canoe trip. So it wasn't one of those overnight deals. It was just we drive up to northern Wisconsin, we're going to hit this this river, and we're going to take a canoe trip on this river, down this river. And uh, this particular family that we went with, they had two sons and two daughters. But their two sons, their oldest son was the same age as me, and so I was good friends with him. And the youngest son my little brother Bryce, he was four years younger than me, and so their son was the same age as him, and so he had a good friend in this family as well. And so our families were good friends. We did stuff together quite a bit, and so we decided to take this canoe trip. And so Sam and my younger brother, their, their youngest son, they were in one canoe. Abel, their oldest son, and me were in another canoe. Of course, the friends stayed together. And then there were three other canoes, the two parents in each of a, a canoe with the coolers and all that stuff, and then their daughters were in another canoe. Well, as you might expect, as soon as we got the canoes into the river, Sam and my brother, being the youngest, they were paddling for all it's worth to get away from the rest of the family, right? That's, that's you know, kind of, they were almost middle school age, like upper elementary, middle school age, and so they're like, let's get as far ahead as possible. So they, they start paddling for all it's worth, and before long, they were like a couple of river bends ahead of us. We couldn't even see them. They're gone. And so Abel and I, we're not trying to keep up with them, but we kind of want to separate from the family too. I was in high school, so I'm like, family's not cool right now, right? And so we're like, woo, let's just go along. We're trying to catch turtles and doing all this stuff, whatever we're doing. And, but we're, we can't see Sam and my member other Bryce. And everything's going really well for a while until we come around a river bend. And we see Sam and Bryce, our younger brothers, in the water like chest deep in the water with their canoe turned sideways, jammed against a rock. The upper level part of the canoe, the open part of the canoe is turned facing upriver. 
You know what's going on, right? The water is flowing into the canoe. The canoe is sinking. They're sinking. It's not good, right? The canoe is probably about 10 to 15 seconds from sinking all the way to the bottom of the river. I kid you not. It was like, it was bad. And Abel and I look at each other and say, oh, little brothers. And so we paddle as fast as we can to get in up to their canoe, and we kind of, we tell them, hold our canoe. We're kind of angry with them at this point because we have to save our little brothers. And we're like, hold our canoe so it doesn't get away, and no, don't take it. We were very clear on that point. Because little brothers, hmm, how many little brothers are in the room? Any little brothers in here? You're the younger brother? Okay, younger brothers unite, yes. And, and so Abel and I, because we were in high school, we were able to, barely, we were strong enough to be able to lift that canoe up out of the current, the current was flowing pretty good, tip the canoe upside down, get all the water out. It was, I remember trying to lift that thing. It was, it was really heavy. There was water all the way in that. And we dumped it out and we set it down and let it kind of float on. And then, of course, Sam and Bryce got in. I'm not sure that they said thank you and off again they were. <laughs> I say all of that to say this. When we go against the current, sometimes you're going to run into obstacles. Sometimes people are not going to understand, how did you get yourself into this position? Why were you going against the current? Well, today I'm going to share a topic, something that God holds as very close, as very dear in his kingdom, but it's all about you and I going the opposite direction. It's all about us going a different direction against the current of our world, of our culture. It's all about going against the grain, against the current, going upstream while everybody else is simply going the other direction. Today is all about going against the current. So, I'm going to start by giving you a little bit of history here this morning. I know it's Mother's Day. Isn't that rough? I'm sorry already, right? But I'm going to start by sharing a little bit of history with you. So you guys know that when Jesus lived on the earth and his time here with the disciples and the New Testament when it was written, was during the height of the Roman Empire. And so I want to talk a little bit about the Roman Empire here today, this morning, and you're going to understand why. It maybe won't make sense right away, but I want to talk about specifically the hierarchy system in the Roman Empire, all right? So I brought this ladder here today. I'm going to actually move this over here a little bit so we can kind of refer to it. Um, this is a ladder, and I, I kind of put some stuff on here so you're going to be able to see this. I'm going to try not to destroy this, all right? This is the hierarchy system that existed in the Roman Empire during the height of its existence. Now, you had basically six main groups. Were there more groups of people than this? Yes, there were more groups of people than this, but there were basically six groups. The top three were called the patricians. The bottom three groups of people were called the plebeians. Okay? I know. Isn't this fun? It's almost like you walked back into history class in high school. You're welcome. All right? Uh, so, how, how many of you loved your history class in high school? Three of you. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. There was a few more of you. Some of you, you you're admitting, like, eh, it was okay. All right. So, it's like, it was like history class. So, we had the top three and the bottom three. Uh, at the top, you had the royals. The royals were wealthy, massive amounts of money. The royals were powerful. They had massive influence. They pretty much could do 
whatever they wanted in Roman society. They could do pretty much whatever they wanted. They had freedom, they had wealth, they had power, they had status. Uh, it didn't get better than the royals in Roman Empire days. Okay? Next, you had the Senate or the senators. These guys usually had wealth, a lot of wealth, but they definitely had a lot of power, a lot of influence. Right? These are the guys, when you think of the Roman Empire and you think togas, you're thinking of these people. You're not thinking of these people down here. You're thinking of these people, the elite of society. Nobody, not everybody got to wear togas in Roman society. It was a status symbol. By the way, I don't know about you, I can't imagine a culture where clothing would be a status symbol. Can you? Hmm, yeah. The royals and the senate. And then you had this third group of people called the equestrians. Now, those of you that know your vocabulary, your terminology, these are people that had this status because they owned a certain form of transportation. We call them horses, right? Again, I'll ask the question, I can't imagine a culture where your status is what you get around in. Hmm. Are you starting to see some parallels in society? And so we have the equestrians, we have royals, we have the senate, we have the equestrians. These are the patricians, these are the elite, and you know how much of the uh, empire they made up? Two percent. Two percent of the empire was made up by these three groups of people. The other 98% was made up by these next three groups of people. So the next group is the citizens. The citizens, they had the same rights legally as these three groups of people, but they didn't have the wealth and they didn't have the power. They didn't have the status. They were simply citizens of the Roman Empire. And so they were protected by the laws of the Roman Empire, but they didn't have the wealth and the power and the status. They were, we would consider these people to be kind of middle class or probably for most of the Roman Empire, lower class. They were scraping by, they were barely surviving, but at least they were protected by the laws of the Roman Empire. Okay? So they had it not nearly as good as these groups, but they had it way better than these next two. The next group of people in the Roman Empire were called the freedmen. These were people who were once usually slaves or foreigners who were either captured by the Roman Empire or moved into the Roman Empire or just found themselves stuck in the Roman Empire. These people were free. They had some autonomy, but they were not protected by laws. People could pretty much do whatever they wanted to them in the Roman Empire, and they could get away with it because they were free, but they were not protected like these other four groups. They were free, but they didn't have rights. They couldn't vote. They, did no, they had no opportunity. But the freedmen were really well off compared to the last group. It's really what made the Roman Empire go round. We don't like to talk about this group, but this was a large group of people in the Roman Empire. These were the slaves. The slaves are a group of people, but they weren't considered people. Not in the Roman Empire. They were considered property. They were considered possessions. Again, this is the underbelly. This is the ugly side of the Roman Empire. We tend to romanticize it, right? The Colosseum and togas and the, the little ivy, you know, uh, little things that they wear on their head and all, all the different things. We're like, ooh, Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire ran on slavery. 
people that were bought and sold as property. They had no rights, no wealth, no power, nothing. Now, why do I bring that up? And you're like, wow, this is a happy Mother's Day message, Brent. Thank you. You're, this is so wonderful, right? I'm so looking forward to lunch later. Maybe we can get into talking about medieval torture practices. I can do a sermon on that if you want me to. But the reason I bring this up is a very important thing because what I want to talk about today is the fact that the Roman Empire had something that everybody wanted to do. Everybody wanted to climb the ladder. Right? Everybody wanted to move up the ladder. Everybody wanted to ascend the ladder in society. That's what everybody's goal was. In fact, in the Roman Empire, they used a, a language called Latin. And uh, there was a Latin phrase that the Romans described what everybody's focus, what everybody's desire was, and it was called cursus honorum. Cursus honorum. Isn't it great? You get to learn Latin today. Cursus honorum. And what it literally translates to mean is succeeding in importance. Succeeding in importance. You're climbing the ladder and gaining in importance. There was this idea, this, this understanding that we're chasing. Everybody's chasing the cursus or norum. Gaining of importance by climbing and ascending the ladder. Now, here's the thing. What if I were to tell you that even though the Romans believed that ascending the ladder brought them greatness, what if I were to tell you that God says that it's completely, and I mean completely, the opposite of that? What if I were to tell you that God in His Word, Jesus in how He taught and how He lived is, He said, this is not the direction you go to achieve greatness. You actually achieve greatness by descending into greatness. Which brings us to the D in Modnik. God in his kingdom is totally different than everybody else's kingdom, everybody else's empire, everybody else's system, because God says the way to achieve greatness is not to ascend the ladder, it's to descend it. Man, this goes against American culture and mentality, doesn't it? It just does. Because everything that we kind of tend to focus on and everything the Romans focus on, ascend to greatness, get there, achieve, move on, get to that next social status. We want to ascend into greatness. Now, as you would imagine, the Romans all wanted to do this. Everybody in society wanted to ascend the ladder. Cursus or no room. But the, the Romans, as you would imagine, it took a long time to fight your way up the ladder. In fact, most people never moved out of their status. Slaves stayed slaves, freedmen stayed freedmen, citizens stayed citizens. It, it was very rare, very hard to move even one level. Almost nobody moved all the way to the top. Virtually nobody did that. That was unheard of. But almost nobody even moved one level. But if you did, maybe you could get one level up. That was about as far as you could go. And that took a long time, probably your entire lifetime, to get one level up from where you were. But can you imagine how quick it would take for you to fall down the ladder? A scandal, a crime committed, 
Just like that, you could fall all the way down. In fact, the Romans had a word for this, a Latin word for this. You know what the word was? Humilitas. Humilitas. You know what word we get from that? Humility. The Romans did not value humility at all. They wanted nothing to do with humility. It was all achieve, success, succeeding in importance. If you wear a toga, you have arrived. If you ride a horse, man, you're something now. But if you didn't, humility, you're worthless. They did not like humility. And God comes into this. Jesus comes into the midst of this world God comes into the midst of this world and blows it up. And he says, no, ascending to greatness is not how it works. All you're going to find is anger and lostness, unfulfillment. He said, what you have to do is you have to descend. You have to bring humility in. Now, here's the thing. When I say humility, that's kind of... We don't say this, but it's kind of a swear word in our culture. You know why? Because nobody likes humility. Everybody's like, yes, I would love to be humble. I would love to give of myself all the time and descend into. How many of you, when I say descend into greatness, you're like, ooh, yes. No, because why? Because our culture teaches ascension everywhere we go. But let me just explain something that maybe we understand, maybe we don't. Humility is not weakness. In fact, what if I were to tell you that the weak ones, the weak people are the ones that are chasing? You know why I know it's weak? Because you're doing what everybody else is doing. That's always easy. Why does bullying exist? Because everybody's going along with everybody, what everybody else around them is doing. Do you realize that bullying would cease to exist if people would simply go against the current of what they knew was right to do? Isn't that true? If nobody else supported the bullies, the bullies would be by themselves and they'd be the ones that are down. But we are not strong. We're weak and so we chase what everybody else is chasing. We try to ascend to greatness. And what God says is, we need to have humility. You guys know I've shared this quote probably a hundred times at Northridge. Maybe not that much, but it's been a lot. C.S. Lewis says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not weakness. It is thinking about yourself less. It's not, it's stopping to worry about this climb the ladder status that everything needs to center around me. Now, The question I have for you, some of you are wondering, like, are we going to get to Scripture at some point today? Some of you are wondering that. Let me ask you this question. Do you think the Romans were the only group of people that had a problem with this whole ascend to greatness idea? Oh, man, not by a long shot. Did you realize that Jesus' own 12 disciples had this problem? They did. Jesus handpicked these 12 guys He handpicked them, and they had this ascend to greatness problem. They had fully bought into it. Let me prove it to you. Let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 10. 
All right? So in the context, Jesus is walking along the road with his 12 disciples. It sounds like, we don't know for sure, but it sounds like maybe there were some other people on the road with him. But at least we know Jesus and his 12 disciples are walking along the road. They're on their way to the city of Jerusalem. This is leading up to Holy Week. Okay? This, is, this is literally the day when Jesus is going to triumphantly enter into Jerusalem. Okay, so just understand that that's the moment. Jesus is going to be crucified on a cross in just a few days. It's that week. And so Jesus is walking with the disciples, and he's telling them some important things as they are walking along. It's, it's like when you walk with somebody else. Anybody walk like the neighborhood, and, and you, know, you have a good friend, and you talk about everything you want to talk about? Like all the important stuff, you get all of that off your chest? That's what's going on here. Jesus is sharing all these really important things about what's going to happen. So let's pick it up there. Jesus and the disciples are walking, and this is what Jesus says. Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 33. Listen, Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. So Jesus is explaining to the disciples, this is, about what, this is what's going to happen to me in just a few days. I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, they're going to kill me, and then I'm going to rise again for three, you know, three days. Like This is one of the most craziest, monumental, amazing things that has ever been spoken. And so I want to read for you now. This is literally the very next verse. This is what comes out of James and John's mouth Right after Jesus said, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be tortured, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to raise again from the dead three days later. Jesus has just said that. Now I want to read for you what James and John do in the very next moment, in the next breath. This is, this is pretty crazy. Then James and John, two of the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? Jesus asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Really? You chose that moment to ask that question? I mean, just, just pause and understand the moment here. They're walking along. Jesus says, oh, hey, by the way, guys, so in just a few days, uh, the Roman authorities, I'm going to be handed over to them. I'm going to be crucified on a cross, worst form of death ever, and I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be tortured, and then I'm going to die for your sins, and then I'm going to raise from the dead in three days. And it's almost as if, let me just put this in modern language, it's almost as if James and John are like, wow. Jesus, that sounds like a pretty bad day. You know, but we've been talking. We'd like to change the subject for a second. <laughs> we've been wondering this, Jesus. So when all of this kind of comes to fruition, you know, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're going to be a king on a throne, you're going to have power, you're going to have status. When that happens, Jesus, we were just wondering, we've been thinking about this, would you be willing to elevate us to the right and left of your position? Like, would you be willing to just elevate us above all the other disciples? We think we've earned it. Oh, 
I mean, if there's a mistake that's ever been made in history, this is one of them. Man, did they... Do you realize how insensitive, how out of touch, how much they missed the mark here? I mean, they didn't miss the tar. They didn't just miss the bullseye. They were shooting in a different direction than Jesus was going. Can I be honest with you? If you're chasing the curses or no room, in modern-day language, if you are seeking to simply climb the ladder in your life, you know what you're going to get? You're going to get out of touch, insensitive. You're going to be lost. And you're going to arrive wherever you're trying to get, and you're going to realize that nobody wanted to be there with you. Nobody is with you. Because you're leaving everybody behind. Because when we ascend to greatness, you know what you have to do? You have to step over and step on people to get there. You realize that, don't you? You have to step on and step over people to achieve greatness by ascension. And what Jesus is saying is, that's not how this should work. Now, let me ask you this. How do you think the disciples responded to James and John, two of their close, like, knit group. There's 12 of them, right? How do you think the other 10 responded to this whole request? Because they heard it. Oh, that was a great day, right? Do you know what, you want to hear what they, what they thought, how they felt? Let me read it for you, just a couple verses down. Mark chapter 10, verse 41. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Now, how many of you have used the word indignant lately? I haven't. You know why we don't use that word? Because we don't know what it means. Indignant is very simply the word anger in a fancy way. We could, you can replace this word with the word anger, but here's the problem. It will not mean the same thing. You know what indignant means? Indignant means angry because of a very specific reason. Somebody who is indignant means they are angry because somebody else is mistreating them unfairly. They're stepping over them to gain access to something that they also should have access to. They are indignant. They're angry. It's when a person is angry because they are being unfairly mistreated, because they are being stepped on, because they are being stepped over, while somebody else ascends to greatness ahead of them because they believe they deserve it. It is indignance. It is anger because you are being mistreated un and being unfairly treated. It's the right word. They were indignant. They were angry about what just happened. Now, do you want to know what Jesus says about this? Oh, yeah, this is good. This is probably one of the most important things Jesus will ever say. And it just happened in a normal conversation moment because James and John asked the dumbest question in the history of questions. Have you heard there's no dumb question? Uh, I've said that before, and that's mostly true. I'm just here to tell you that was a dumb question. It was bad. And Jesus calls it out. So when I was a soccer coach, uh, sometimes we'd be out on the field and we'd be practicing and my, my, uh, the soccer team, the, the high school boys, they'd be scattered all over the field. We'd be either scrimmaging or running a drill where we were kind of spread out. And, and, and every now and then I would say, bring it in. Hey guys, bring it in. 
That's what I do. I would do this kind of, and I'd say, bring it in. And I'd do it a lot louder than that, right? Bring it in. And my guys knew, well, we got to this point, when, when the coach says, bring it in, you run, right? You don't walk. If you walk in, you know what we get to do? We all get to run sprints. And so when we say, bring it in, bring it in, and they would hustle in, and they would kind of gather in. Now, the question I ask you this is, why would I say bring it in? Well, there's two reasons. One, it might be because what I'm about to say is really important for the entire team. The second reason is because I'm seeing something, a mistake that's being made by a lot of the team, and I want to make sure everybody knows we need to adjust it. Something important that everybody needs to hear and an adjustment that needs to be made in the moment. Guess what Jesus does in this moment? He doesn't say it like I did. He didn't say bring it in, but he basically does the same thing. Let's read what Jesus says. Verse 42. So Jesus called them together. Bring it in (laughs) to his disciples. Bring it in. And he said this. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people. Cursus honorum. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But catch what Jesus says. What does he say? But among you it will be what? It'll be what? It'll be different. Jesus says among you it will be different. In the NIV version it says not so with you. No, not so with you. This is not what you're going to do. With you it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you must descend into greatness in my kingdom. You can't ascend. You'll never achieve greatness by trying to ascend. Not in my kingdom, Jesus says. All you're going to end up with is anger, indignance. You're going to be insensitive, lost, if you seek to ascend the ladder and you step over everybody to do it. We must descend into greatness. Now, here's what's interesting. You might say, well, all well and good, but everybody else is ascending to greatness and we're just going to get stepped on. No, you won't. No, you won't. Again, remember what I said about humility. Humility is not weakness. It's not. It, Jesus is not saying be a doormat. Let them do whatever they want to you. No, that's not at all what he's saying. He's simply saying you're going to go a different direction than everybody else is going. Because everybody else is getting there by stepping on and stepping over people, manipulating them. And, and what's interesting is, even though our culture is all chasing this direction, You know what science, you know what professors, universities, they've done hundreds of studies on this chase for success. And you know what they found over and over and over? Every study that's been done on people's happiness, joy, and fulfillment, and satisfaction, you know what they find? They find that any job where a person is not ascending in greatness, but descending, they use their job to serve other people and the employees around them, you know what they find? By and large, almost completely across the board, they discover 
that these people are fulfilled. You know what they discover? Professors and, and other people in universities that have done this study, they have discovered that people who spend their time outside of work, whether it's in work, outside of work, maybe they volunteer at church. Hint, hint, it's a great idea. <laughs> See what I did there? No, but seriously, when you sacrifice, when you give your time and your money and your energy to serve others, to put others first, to descend into greatness... When you do that, you know what the studies tell you? You're physically healthier. You're emotionally healthier. You're mentally healthier. You're spiritually healthier. You, you don't have to take my word for it. Use that thing called Google. We all do anyway, right? Google it today. Ch check it out. Find those studies that talk about the fact that when people ascend to greatness, they are less fulfilled, they're angry, they're upset, and it leads to pain and suffering in their life. And when they descend, when people choose to descend into greatness and serve other people, you know what they find is fulfillment and health emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Again and again, every, every study that they've done, they discover that this is true. And the jobs that they find are the most fulfilling has nothing to do with money. Man, that flies in the face of what we chase. People lost income, but they gained a different job and they were more fulfilled getting less money because they were serving other people in the job that they got later versus the one they had before. Let me ask this question. How is it possible that being selfless, focusing on yourself less, can actually make yourself healthier? How many of you have been taught completely opposite of that in our culture? How many self-empowerment books are out there? There's a few. How many TED Talks? Talk about self-empowerment. You know what that is? That's a false prop to make you feel better about yourself. You don't need that. I'm here to tell you that God already knows your value. And your value is amazing. You are not a slave. You are not a freedman. You're not a citizen. You're not a question. You're not a senate. You're better than a royal. You're a child of God. And yet, we buy these books so we can prop ourselves up and hopefully feel better about ourselves. Why? Because we're ascending to greatness. And as we ascend, we're more and more empty. What if we, how does it work that when I empty myself willingly by descending into greatness, how is it that when I empty myself, I actually feel more full? In God's kingdom, that's how it works. And by the way, there's no accident that this is on Mother's Day, right? No, the staff did not plan the D for Mother's Day. It just worked out that way. But there's no accident here. When I think about mothers and how much they constantly descend into greatness, they put others first all the time. My mother won't like this, but my mother is up here playing the keyboard every single 
Sunday. She's, a lot of people don't know this, but she's here on Saturdays setting up the stage, not the actual stage, but the things on the stage every Saturday. Most people don't ever see that. You know why she does that? Because she descends into greatness all the time. I'm really thankful for that. And she hates that I just called her out for that. but she'll be all right. I have a wife who's an amazing mother. She puts our family first all the time. She descends into greatness all the time. You guys don't know this, but our our washing machine is on its last leg. We brought somebody in to check it because it's been breaking every time we do a load. He said, yep, it's on its way out. Start saving now for a new washing machine. Thank you. I love that news, right? But you know what that means? He said, well, you, can, you can get through this for a while by doing half the amount of clothes every load. Yay! You know what that means? Double the amount of loads of laundry. Just smaller loads so that we have to constantly do it. You know who's picked up that load literally and figuratively? My wife. Have we tried to help? We have. But let's be honest, she's done 90%. Why? Because she's constantly descending into greatness. It's no accident that God put this sermon on Mother's Day. So here's how I want to end. What do you get from God when you empty yourself out? What do you get? What does God do for you when you choose not to ascend, but to descend. When you decide to approach God and say, I'm going to throw all this stuff that I'm trying to achieve, that I'm trying to chase, I'm going to throw all of that at your feet, Jesus. I'm going to empty myself out. What happens? What does God do when you empty yourself of all the things that this world says is important? When you empty yourself of those things, do you know what God does? It's this word that sometimes we make fun of. But you know what God does when you empty yourself? He fills you up with something that we call blessing. His blessing. Grace. Peace. Joy. Love. Forgiveness. There is no room for grace and love and joy and peace and forgiveness while we ascend, while we fill ourselves with the things and the chase. But if you empty yourself, God will pour in his blessing. He promises this in his word. And by the way, don't think that you know what the blessing looks like. Because it may not necessarily be money and status. The blessing might be something different. And so I think it's very appropriate. I want to invite the the worship team to go ahead and come on up. And we'll grab the ladder out of here too. So here's how I want to end. We're going to end in a very powerful way today. We want to sing a prayer over you. It's not the first time we've done this. We did this last year. But we thought it would be very appropriate given given the topic, the sermon today. 
But what we wanted to do is we wanted to give you the opportunity to receive God's blessing. And so we're going to sing a song called, guess what? The Blessing. And this is a prayer. This is very simply, this is God's prayer. This is our prayer for you. Whether you're a mother or not a mother, whether you're here with your family or here by yourself, this is a blessing for you. This is for everybody. And so I'm going to ask you to remain seated. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And then as soon as I pray, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to step down. But they're going to sing this prayer of blessing over you. I, I hope and pray that you're going to receive it. Maybe you want to do this with your hands, maybe you don't, but I pray that you would receive it. So just remain seated. The worship team will have you stand and sing this with us because I think singing this together is going to be powerful. We can all declare together that this is God's desire, blessing for us, but we just want to sing this over you. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, We cannot receive your blessing unless we empty ourselves and are prepared. You want, to, you want to pour your blessing over us and into us, but we can't receive it if we're seeking to ascend to greatness. We need to descend. We need to empty ourselves so that we're ready to receive the blessing that you have for us and those around us and our generations after us and everybody or everything that's included in that. God, we need your blessing. We want your blessing. But first, help us to empty ourselves. Help us to descend into greatness as you desire in your kingdom. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.